0: pray together. Lord, Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we're so grateful for the opportunity that we have uh, to remember this morning, God, to to participate in what you've called us to do as your bride. Um, God, this is an exciting morning at our church, and uh, Lord, we're just grateful for your grace um, that purchased us, that keeps us, that sustains us, that motivates us, and uh, God, we invite you to move in these next few minutes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Awesome. Well, good morning, church. We're so glad you're here. If we haven't gotten to meet, my name is Parker Richardson, and I'm the campus pastor here, and uh, we're thrilled that you took a, a slice out of your Sunday to join us this morning. And uh, we're going to do things a little differently. Um, We've got more worship this morning. And we're actually, as you can see, the tank is on the stage behind me, which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, I'm really thrilled this morning uh, that we are going to participate in both of the ordinances. Uh, You may know them as the sacraments um, that our Lord Jesus has commissioned his church to do. Um, And so we're going to take just a few minutes. We're not going to belabor this. And uh, I just want to show you uh, and explain to you what those mean and why we do those and uh, present to you biblically uh, some parameters around those things. Uh, But this morning is a very celebratory morning that we're going to just participate in both of the ordinances that um, God himself ask his church to do. Um, But before I do that, um, Charlie, I hope you don't mind if I say this. Um, This is one of those things where just family business, we want to take care of each other and pray for one another. Um, Charlie's brother passed on Friday. Um, Many of you guys know Charlie Green over here. Um, His brother Joe passed this Friday, and um, uh, his younger brother Joe. And uh, I wanted to just take one minute as a body, if we can just pray for him. Um, Pray for he he and his family Um, He has a sister in Nashville as well Um, But we'd love to just take a minute Charlie, as your brothers and sisters in Christ To pray for you, to lift you up Um, We would be honored to do that So uh, let's pray one more time And then we'll jump in with our time together Lord, uh, we lift up the greens to you Um, God, this has been a season um, For Charlie But God, we're grateful um, For his foundation Um, If there is a testimony of a solid rock foundation. Um, Charlie Green is living it out. And we know he's not perfect. Uh, we know he's had moments. Um, but God, um, overall, it is just so grateful to see this brother um, who's been following you for years and years and years. Um, God, navigate these seasons. What a testimony to the younger believers in our congregation. What a testimony to me. Um, but God, um, it doesn't remove the sadness. Um, I'm grateful. That in your word, um, that we can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. So, Father, I pray that that would be true in the greens um, in the coming weeks and months. Um, God, that they would be sorrowful. Um, Death is a sorrowful thing, uh, because it was never your design. Um, God, our sin has marred your image in us, and uh, death is one of the effects of the fall. Um, But, God, we're grateful that you have done something decisive about death. John 11 says, he who believes in me will never die. And even if he dies, he will live. Um, So, God, we're grateful for the hope that we have in you. We don't grieve as believers, as those who have no hope. um, But, God, we grieve uh, with hope, knowing that this is not the end. Um, In fact, this is only the beginning. It's not the end of our purpose. It's actually the fulfillment in the beginning of it. We step into glory with you. Be with us now as we look towards that day. Be with Charlie and the greens um, as they greet. All right, so like I said this morning, we're just going to take a few minutes and we're going to walk through uh, the ordinances and we are going to uh, participate in the Lord's Supper. I'm going to lead us through that and uh, then we're going to respond with a song. And then uh, a little Grayson Banks down here is going to go public this morning with his face. So that's really awesome. Uh, Let me just say kind of housekeeping things. uh, You're going to see some of his class from High Point Kids come over here during that song and sit in these first few rows. Um, So if it looks like a field trip just showed up, uh, that's why. And uh, we're really thrilled. So Grayson, when you're up here, make sure you look down here at your class because they're excited to see you and uh, witness this with you. So uh, it's a great morning. I'm really excited that we're going to do this. And if you're unfamiliar with church, maybe this is your first time, maybe you walked in here, someone invited you, um, someone suckered you into this whole morning because they promised you lunch afterwards, uh, we're really glad you're here. Um, We do not claim to have it all together. In fact, we're going to see in just a minute that we don't. In fact, that's our claim, that we don't have it all together. uh, But God's grace is sufficient for us, that he meets us in our brokenness, um, that the gospel is good news for imperfect people, for sinful people. And uh, all throughout the scriptures... God has given his people signs of a covenant relationship with him. And that's what we're doing this morning. Um, All throughout the Old Testament, um, praise God that we live in the New Testament and there's new signs of the covenant for uh, New Testament believers. But all throughout the scriptures, this was the story. Is the story of God making a covenant with humanity that from the very moment sin entered the world in Genesis 3, God made a promise in Genesis 3:15 that he would put enmity between the enemy Satan and his offspring and the woman and her offspring and the offspring of the woman, the offspring of Adam and Eve would crush the head of the serpent and the serpent would strike his heel. And we know that the serpent striking his heel is the cross, but the seed of the woman, the son of the descendant of the woman crushing the head of the serpent was the crucifixion, but not just that, the resurrection and his ascension and ultimately Jesus's final return when he returns for his bride and defeats the enemy forever. That's the first gospel that's proclaimed in the scriptures. And if you wanna know, we say this often, if you wanna know the thread that runs through the entire Old Testament, it's Genesis 3.15. It's that there would be a seed of the woman, an offspring of the woman. So why does Genesis 4 and other texts in Genesis just break out into random genealogies? It's not to bore you. What's Moses, the author, doing? He's tracing the seed of the woman. He's tracing the descendants of the woman. And you get all the way, all scattered out through Genesis, you just see he had him, and he had him, and he had him, and he lived this many years, and he died, and this day, and just on and on and it goes. It's not meant to be boring reading. It's meant to prove to you that God will come through on his promises. That's why Matthew chapter 1 opens with a genealogy all the way from Abraham down to Jesus. Luke chapter 3, Luke is a doctor. He was a little more educated. Um, I think he was trying to one-up Matthew. He goes from Jesus all the way back up and traces the lineage to Adam and Eve. What's he doing? He's showing us that God came through on his promise, that there would be a seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. He has done something decisive about our sin, about death, about decay, about sickness, about all of the effects of the fall. Jesus Christ has done something about it. God came through on his promises. And how did he do that? The story of the Old Testament is the story of the covenants. As God made a covenant with one of the descendants of the woman, his name was Abraham, that he would bless him and Abraham would be a blessing. He would make him into a nation. He made a covenant with Isaac, Abraham's son, with Jacob, all the way down to Moses. God makes a covenant with him. What's he doing? How is God going to protect the seed of the woman? Well, he turns him into a nation. Right? So they can defend themselves. They can govern themselves. They can survive. He gives them law. He gives them legislation to govern themselves so that they would be holy unto Him. This is the Mosaic Law in Exodus. But God is protecting the seed of the woman. And the story of the scriptures is the story of the covenants. And all throughout the scriptures, God would welcome the outsider. God was always proving himself and showing himself as the one true God over all of these false pagan gods. And He would. Instruct his people to welcome the foreigner, to welcome the outsider. This wasn't just an exclusively Jewish thing. That all throughout the Old Testament, as God is proclaiming who he is to his people, he would welcome in the outsiders and those that would seek refuge in him. We see this in Joshua and when Rahab, who's not Jewish, seeks refuge in the God of Israel. And what does he say? Welcome her. Make, him one of your, make her one of your own, right? They welcome the outsider. But all throughout the Old Testament, there were signs that you were in covenant relationship with Jesus. One of those happened one time, and then the other one happened repeatedly. The one that happened one time was circumcision, right? You can only do that once. Um, circumcision, praise God, is an Old Testament sign of the covenant. That Old Testament believers, they would circumcise themselves, the men would, circumcise their children on the eighth day that they were born, um, And this was a sign that you were in covenant relationship with Jesus. Obviously, this was with God. They didn't know the name Jesus back then. But um, this was a foreshadowing, as Jeremiah says, that God would one day circumcise our hearts, that he would cut away at our hearts, and that he would show us his grace. He would show us himself. Um, So that was the one that happened initially. And this is what you would do to um, show that you were set apart, that you were in a covenant relationship with the God of the universe. And then the sign that happened repeatedly was the Passover. And this was to remember and to symbolize when God passed over his people that were enslaved in Egypt. This was how God redeemed them. This is how God freed them, right? They were in captivity, just like us. We were in captivity to our sin. They were, the Israelites were in physical captivity in Egypt. We were in spiritual captivity to our sin and the effects of our sin. And what happened? How did God free us? He passed over. Um, Death came. Death was coming for us. In our sin, we deserve death. We deserve separation from God. And what did God do? If we are covered by the blood of the Lamb, then death passed over us, and we were saved, and we were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. This is how we were saved. This is how we received salvation. This is how we were set free from the bondage of our sin, just like the Israelites in the Old Testament. And every year after The Exodus, God would command his people to practice the Passover, where they would gather once a year and they would break bread together and they would, um, it was a long ordeal. It was a week-long festival. but They would remember what God did for them in the Old Testament. We have new signs of the covenant, but just like the Old Testament, we have one that we do initially and then we have one that we do repeatedly. We have one that we do initially, and this is baptism, that when you are born again, That just like in the Old Testament with circumcision, in the New Testament, these are signs and symbols. This is a symbol and a sign identifying that you are in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. And just like Grayson's about to do, we bring you up here. Um, We at High Point have the privilege of hearing your testimony, hearing how God drew you to himself and how his grace has awakened you and caused new birth in you. Um, He's caused you to be born again. And then we put you under the water and bring you up out of the water to symbolize what Jesus has done, to symbolize his death and his burial and his resurrection. 2 Corinthians 5, that the old you is gone and the new you has come. Galatians 2, that you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. That's the sign of the covenant. And just like in the Old Testament, unholy people could not be in the presence of God. We could not be in covenant with him. We could not dwell with him. So what did you have to do to enter the temple in the Old Testament? You had to wash yourself. You had to be cleansed. Same is true in the New Testament. And this is a sign. Baptism is a sign. It's a physical sign. And this is why I love the ordinances. This is why I love the sacraments. Because it's not just teaching that we get to experience, but it's a a physical picture, action, action picture and even drama of what Jesus has done for us. That when you go under the, the tank, you go under the water, there's nothing special about the water here. This is a sign and a symbol. What? That Jesus' blood has cleansed us of our sins. And now we, with the righteousness of God, the holiness of God on us, we can approach the God of the universe and we can dwell with him, we can commune with him, we can approach the table and eat and drink with him. That's the goodness of the gospel. It's what Jesus has done for us. Same is true. So that was the one that we do initially. And then there's one that we do repeatedly, just like in the Old Testament. And that is the Lord's Supper. It's communion. That is, as Scripture says, as often as you do this, that we would do this in remembrance of Jesus. That as we gather together and we break bread together, that we would symbolize, it's a picture of Jesus's body that was broken for us. And as we drink the cup, it's a symbol of Jesus's blood that was shed for us. And in Matthew 26, if you want to read about it later, Jesus talks about this. He says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. That if you are a a believer in Jesus, if you are a part of this new covenant, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That if you are part of the new covenant, you've put your faith in Jesus, that you get to approach the table with God himself. One day foreshadowing when he returns and grabs and takes his bride with him and we get to fellowship and eat and drink with the God of the universe forever. The marriage supper of the lamb That Jesus is bride with himself together forever. That's what we look forward to. Um, So these are both signs of the covenant. We've got baptism and the Lord's Supper. Just like in the Old Testament, we have these new covenant signs for believers to participate in. And so here's the question though, how do we get to be a part of it? How are we included in that? How are we, undeserving myself, I wish you could spend a week with me and just hear my um, wicked thoughts and heart and actions and all. How do I get to dwell and be with and approach the table with the God of the universe? How in the world? And if you're an unbeliever in here, you might be asking this, why? No, like you don't know me, you don't know my story, you don't know what I've done. Like there's no way God would let me approach him, right? There's no way. Knowing what I've done, knowing who I am, knowing how I think, how in the world can I sit with the God of the universe and dwell at his table with him? Let me read this to you. And this actually comes from Isaiah. This will be on the screen. It says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, How in the world do we, Isaiah says everyone, how do we get to experience the same covenant with the God of the universe that David had? You know what um, Isaiah says? The only requirement is not that you be good, not that you act good, not that you earn it with your behavior, is that you hunger and you thirst for God. That's it, that's the gospel is you don't have to be good enough, you don't have to work for it, you don't have to earn it, you don't have to impress God with your behavior, you don't have to do enough things for God to finally say you're worthy. No, you hunger and you thirst for God and that's it. You recognize that you're broken, you recognize that you're needy and everyone who's broken and needy can come to the waters. John 6 is this crazy story where Jesus starts telling people to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And Jesus was intentionally being really symbolic because, uh, and weird on purpose because the crowds had grown and they had multiplied and they had gathered. And all of these people, Jesus had fed 5,000 people and 4,000 people. So like they're getting physical blessings from this. And in Jesus, trying to kind of weed out the crowd, starts saying, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everyone's like, what in the world is going on? And a lot of people leave. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, do you want to leave as well? And then Peter says, no, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And what was Jesus doing here? Because he had fed lots of people with bread, but in that moment, this is John 6, is where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. What in the world is he doing? Jesus is showing us that he did not come to give us bread. Yes, did he give us bread? You better believe it. The Old Testament, the story of manna coming down from heaven, God all throughout the scriptures gave his people bread but more importantly than that Jesus didn't come to give us things he came to be bread and he says I'm the bread of life it's my body that's broken for you you don't get it if you think that just following me gets you more possessions and gets you more food and earthly things Isaiah says hunger and thirst for God come to the waters I love this quote from Tim Keller. Uh, you may want write to this, write this down. It says this, the irony of the gospel is that the only way to be worthy of it is to admit that you're completely unworthy of it. That's the gospel. The only way to be worthy of it is to admit that you are completely unworthy unworthy of it, and that is good news for us. So if you're new this morning, if you're here, if you're wondering what's going on, we're not doing all this because we've got it together, because we're impressive, and because um, we don't sin, and we just, you know, we're good at hiding that, aren't we? Make it look like everything's going great. We are here because we love to admit that we don't. We don't have it together, but we know a perfect Savior who welcomes us by his grace. Matthew 5, Jesus' sermon famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. He says this in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How are you worthy of the kingdom of heaven? You admit that you're spiritually bankrupt. That's how you receive this gospel. You don't earn it with your works. You don't earn it with your behavior. All you have to do this morning, if you're in here and you don't know Jesus Christ, the only requirement for you is to admit that you're completely unworthy of him. To admit that you're a sinner to admit that you've um, rebelled from God, that you don't deserve his love, you don't deserve his grace, and that's the moment that he meets you in your brokenness. That's the moment that he transformed you by his grace. As soon as you realize that you cannot earn it and you do not deserve it, but he has done it for us. How are we, as Isaiah says, how are we able to drink? I love, you see the, the irony here. How are we able to, to drink and to buy when we have no money? Right, Come, he who has no money, and drink and buy. How are we able to do that? Because Jesus is our prize. Jesus paid the price for us. How are we able to experience all of the blessings of being and dwelling with the God of the universe? Because Jesus Christ paid his life for us on our behalf. That's good news. So, let me read this to you in 1 Corinthians and we'll take communion together. It says this, um, starting... In verse 23 of chapter 11, he says, For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, let me say this. Look at verse 27. Whoever therefore eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Most pastors stop at verse 26, right? We wanna end on a good note. But I wanna read you the warning in this. And let me just say this. If you're not a believer, if you don't know where you stand with God, if you haven't got to a place, maybe you're here and you're just checking things out and boy, are we thrilled that you're here. In fact, Paul says that we're proclaiming Jesus's death to you as we participate in this. But we would respectfully ask in light of these warnings in scripture that you don't participate. There's no judgment on you. There's no guilt on you. Nobody's in here looking around to see who's taken or who's not. But if you're not quite sure, I would lovingly charge you from this text to not take this. Because this is a sign of new covenant believers, New Testament believers, that we are in covenant relationship with the Lord. So I just wanted to say that. But Paul does say in verse 28 that we need to examine ourselves before we take this. And we need to take this in a worthy manner. And when we take communion, we do three things. We remember what Jesus has done as we physically get a picture of his body broken and his blood shed. But then we take this in a worthy manner. So we repent. We take a minute and we ask the Lord if there's any sin in our lives um, that we want to confess them to him. If there's some that we remember, some that we don't remember. um, We just take a few minutes and we examine our hearts and ask the Lord to show us where we've strayed. Not as... um, Someone who wants to condemn us, right? Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But as a son who runs back to the arms of his father, knowing that in our filth and in our brokenness, if we lift our hands, he will pick us up and welcome us into his arms. That's what we want to do. And then lastly, we remember, we repent, but then we proclaim. That after we take this, as we leave here, the act of taking this, but then as we exit, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I want to give you a few minutes. You've got this thing. Let me just give you a little note. Um, There is a thin sheet of purple film on the top of this. If you just rip the whole thing off, your bread's still going to be stuck in there. Um, So look for the little thin sheet. If you haven't gotten one of these, we've got some folks that are coming around. We'll give you one. Uh, If you just want to lift a hand up, they'd be happy to give you one. Um, We've got some guys over here. But I just want to do this. While they're doing that, Will you take a a minute. You can do this alone. You can do this as a couple, however you want to do this. um, But just take a few minutes and examine your own heart. Take a few minutes with the Lord because we want to take this in a worthy manner. We want to approach the table with the Lord humbly, knowing that we didn't do anything to deserve it, that your behavior is not the reason that you get to do this, that it is only God's grace. So take a few minutes, pray to the Lord, and then I'll pray kind of a corporate confession for us Um, after a minute or two goes by, and then I'll read this text again, and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. So take a few minutes on your own and pray, and then I'll lead us after that. are still praying, you can keep going. I want to read this prayer to you. You can keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. This is just a Puritan prayer of confession. I'm going to pray this on behalf of our church. Um, and I just pray that you would let these words sit over you. This is what it says. It says, With you, O Lord, there is forgiveness. Forgive the sins that I remember and the sins that I've forgotten. Forgive my many failures in the face of temptation and the times when I've been stubborn in the face of corrections. Forgive the times I've been proud of my own achievements and the times when I've failed to boast in your works. Forgive the harsh judgments I've made of others and the leniency I've shown myself. Forgive the lies I've told to others and the truths that I've avoided. Forgive the pain that I've caused others and the indulgence I've shown myself. In your mercy, restore the joy of my salvation so that I may love you with a holy love. All your loving kindness is in your son. I claim his saving name as the one who died for me. I plead his blood to pay for my debts of wrong. Accept his worthiness for my unworthiness, his sinlessness for my transgression, his purity for my uncleanness, his truth for my deceits, his meekness for my pride, his consistency for my backslidings, his love for my enmity, his fullness for my emptiness, his faithfulness for my treachery, His obedience for my lawlessness, His glory for my shame, His devotedness for my waywardness, His holy life for my unholy ways, His righteousness for my dead works, His death for my life. Amen. If you want to take the bread, I'll lead us. This is Paul. Once again, 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can take the bread. In the same way, also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. When you're ready, you can take the cup. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death Till he comes. And that's what we do. We say this a lot around here. Partakers become proclaimers. That when you partake of his grace, the natural thing for us to do is to proclaim his grace to the world. It's who we are. We are people who have been chosen, adopted, saved, redeemed, forgiven by God's grace. So as we sing, let's proclaim. As we leave here, let's proclaim. As we go to work this week, let's proclaim. As we're spending time with our families, let's proclaim his death. Let's proclaim what he's done as we look forward to the real supper when he returns for his bride. Lord, we love you. God, we're grateful for this opportunity as a body that we can just be united at the table together. God, not because we've done something to get there, but because of your grace. Help us to proclaim your gospel as we sing in response to you right now. In Jesus' name. stand up. We're going to sing the new song together, and I pray that you meditate on the words, and when you're comfortable, you sing them out.